0: Hey, everybody. This is the legal disclaimer, where I tell you that the views, thoughts, and opinions shared in this podcast belong solely to our guests and hosts and not necessarily Brady or Brady's affiliates. Please note this podcast contains discussions of violence that some people may find disturbing. It's okay, we find it disturbing too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a very special mini So in our last episode, we talked about how Brady and March for Our Lives and other groups are mobilizing gun violence prevention activists to advocate for democracy reforms in their states and their communities. But we got a lot of questions about, you know, how to actually do that. <laughs> so to answer some of those questions for you, Kelly and I are joined by Team Enough fellow Robert Centrup. Uh, Robert, can I go ahead and have you introduce yourself?
1: My name is Robert Shentrup, and I have been an organizer around gun violence prevention for a little over two years now. I got involved after the Parkland shooting back in 2018. Really what drove me to action was that I grew up in Parkland. I moved there when I was 13. I went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas for high school. I graduated in 2017, and on February 14th, both of my younger sisters attended school there. But on February 15th, you know, uh, and later on the day February 14th, only one of my sisters came home. My sister Carmen up only 16 at the time, was one of the 17 victims of the Marjory Stoneman Douglas school shooting. And in the aftermath of the shooting, you know, really just trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces, you know, I, I got engaged with the on preventing gun violence. And as I learned more and more, about kind of you know the laws of this country, both that we have and that we don't have, it really helped me realize you know that what happened my family was something that was very preventable, as was described in an ad that March for Our Lives put out recently. You know, oftentimes school shootings are treated like an act of God, when in reality they are caused by our own failure, failure in policy, failure in morally to just. Do the right thing. It's really important that we, you know, organize to make sure that, you know, on my end, that no other family has to experience what I have, even though about a thousand have in terms of mass shooting since 2018 and about 80,000 have in overall gun violence deaths since the Parkland shooting. And so it's something that, you know, uh, really kind of drew me to this work was wanting to really get involved in the fight for gun violence prevention. And, uh, you know, looking at kind of Team Enough and why I decided to get involved there was um, really just the, the fact that Brady, through Team Enough, was able to give me a way in which, along with our, my other executive council members, we could really have a say. And how we wanted to talk about the issue. How we wanted to, you know, chart our own vision for how we conceptualize the issue. You know, what is our theory of change? And how can we take our personal experience and use our personal story to benefit the larger youth organizing movement at large? But also be able to have a platform which to speak about gun violence
0: prevention. Robert, I mean, thank you so much for for sort of sharing your, your personal reasons for getting involved in Team Enough too, I think that for so many people in gun violence prevention, this is a deeply personal space to, to work in. And I love that you mention the way that sometimes these shootings are treated as, as almost the same way that we would talk about like hurricanes, you know, mm-hmm. or other, like they're almost a natural disaster when that, when that really yeah. isn't the case at all. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit specifically about what you wish all Americans and our listeners at large, you know, knew about gun violence. Period.
1: Yeah. So when looking at the issue of gun violence, and, you know, like you said, like a hurricane, you know, like a natural disaster, that framing is something that is really pushed by the NRA and the gun lobby, those who benefit from having gun rights that are, you know, no regulation whatsoever because it changes how you deal with the problem. If something is seen as a natural disaster, the onus to act, the responsibility to do something is not on you. It's something that's, you know, an act of fate. It's out of your hands. You can't do anything about it. You just have to figure out how you deal with the issue. And the NRA wants to push that narrative, you know, along again with the uh, the gun lobby at, at large because it Absolves them from having to do anything about the fact that the proliferation of firearms, you know, study after study heavily impacts the rates of gun violence. It prevents them from, you know, acknowledging that they have to do anything around prohibiting people from owning firearms who we know through evidentiary means are, you know, at risk of harming themselves or others. And it absolves them from the fact that, you know, we understand through a public health fund that gun violence is something that acts epidemiologically. And is something that we can prevent, you know, we can stop the cycle of violence and make sure that, you know, we are using the, the many tools that we have in order to prevent this crime. And so, you know, I think this idea that it's an active fate is something that is supposed to cause you to go into inaction. And really, I think, you know, that kind of the power after Parkland was a lot of people seeing that, oh, wait, no, this isn't. A natural disaster. This isn't something that's just going to keep happening. This is something that we can prevent. And so, what I would say, you know, to folks about gun violence prevention, what I really want them to know is that it is something that is absolutely preventable. And we have not as many studies as we should, due to you know the CDC not getting funding for decades in order to study the issue of gun violence. But, you know, from the private studies that we've been able to have, from the studies that were done before the funding freeze, we see that, you know, when we're looking at kind of the laboratories of the states and, you know, which states have what laws and, you know, looking at the states that have stronger gun laws and things that have weaker gun laws, and the amount of gun violence in the states that have stronger gun laws, you know, on average or less. And, uh, however, that patchwork of legislation you know, uh, allows for uh, states that have weak gun laws for guns from those states to flood into states that have stronger gun laws. And the laws of, you know, states like New York, states like Illinois, who have stringent legislation around firearms, and, you know, want to make sure that they're doing what they can within their state to protect their citizens, um, and just folks who live there. It is completely undermined by the fact that states around them don't have similar uh, restrictions. And, you know, as we've seen Virginia do this year, they implemented a one-gun-a-month law that they they had in place about a decade ago, and then a uh, sentence editor was repealed. And, you know, that was to really combat gun trafficking from Virginia up the I-95 corridor into the Northeast. We need to have strong federal gun laws in this country really in order to combat the issue of gun violence. We have two paths kind of in front of us. One path where we continue on the cycle that we have for the last three, four decades in the modern gun violence prevention movement, where we kind of get a win and then we stagnate for a couple of decades and then we get a win again. Or we can take the momentum that we have now and make sure that, you know, we are able to put in place all of the amazing legislation that we talk about day in and day out
2: within the movement space. Thanks, Robert. And like JJ, I just want to acknowledge and thank you again for sharing your story. I know that that cannot be easy every time you have to share that part of your life. And I just kind of wanted to follow up on, you mentioned the the power that the NRA has. And I was wondering if you could tell listeners a little bit more about the relationship between people and their views on gun violence, coupled with access to the ballot, access to power, and really help people understand how issues of democracy and who gets to have their voices heard, how that helps or hinders our ability to really have Legislation and policies around gun violence that actually reflect popular opinion. Yeah, and uh, thank you for that question, Kelly. I, I think that you know you really help kind
1: of tie together why you know looking at the power of the vote is so important, and really why uh you know with Team Enough and Brady, we're doing a lot of work along with March for Our Lives on the issue of voting access because you know exactly what you said when we we're looking at kind of who are predominantly the gun rights voters. you know who are the people who are you know kind of the the core of them is membership-based that really gives them their power. Um, You know, predominantly, these folks are older. Predominantly, these folks are white. And, you know, uh, older, whiter voters um, have less barriers to access uh, their voting rights than other groups do. And, you know, a really good example of this is, you know, just thinking about kind of the election and election day, right? It is not a day. That is a national holiday. Um, it is not a day in which people have the day off in order to go and vote. Um, and it is on a Tuesday. It is not on a weekend. And so, you know, how, kind of who can go to the, the ballot, uh, go cast a ballot during that day um, and kind of when uh, is really dependent on, are you working or are you not? And for a lot of voter voters, uh, a lot of them have retired. A lot of them are not working. And a lot of them have, you know, the whole day in which they can, go and have the ability to vote in person. Um, obviously, with coronavirus, and this is a little different, but they are seasoned voters. They know the voting process. And, and so, you know, they know how to get an absentee ballot. They know how to, you know, navigate the complex system in order to just exercise your right to vote that is put in place on purpose. Because, you know, it, that is a system that is built for them. But it's a system built for folks that you know are, have you know time on their hands, in which they can figure out how to work the system, something that is not inherently understandable, and having the ability to you know spend four or five hours you know going to vote is something that you're much more likely to be able to do. Um, if you don't have kids that you're trying to raise, if you don't have a job that you have to work at for eight hours that day, if you don't have a two-hour commute to and from that job. And so, you know, when we're talking about kind of who has access to the ballot box, I mean, it really depends on a, a range of factors, uh, but of course, race, class, and, and age is, is a huge factor. And so, you know, specifically starting off at one that, you know, I, I think um, I really just want to uplift because that team and we work with a lot of younger people is kind of how hard it is for young people to vote under the current system. And, you know, when, when looking at kind of, you know, we oftentimes, you know, when we see youth vote, the rates are, are low. And, you know, I think it was in the uh, mid 20 percentile in 2018, right? Not a lot of young people are voting. Not a lot of people in this country vote. But, you know, we often place the blame on them. and we say, young people in this country don't care. You know, they don't care. They don't give a shit. You know, we don't, you know, we just don't think voting is that important and you know what we do by individualizing the problem is that we place the blame on each person but what we see a lot of times is a system that is not created to make voting easy for young people you know it's it, and it's a system that doesn't reflect kind of our how our lives usually work you know a lot of young people more and more each year uh, except probably for this year are going to college and when you're going to college many times it is somewhere that is far from where you had lived uh, during high school. Uh, Therefore, your address changes. And because you have a temporary address, a lot of times, you know, you you live somewhere for a year, you live somewhere else for another year, the process of being registered to vote at your current address is something that is relatively difficult. And for for young people, it's, oh, okay, well, you know, what is my permanent address? You know, uh, do I stay registered to vote back home where my parents live? Do I register to vote? You know, at this temporary address, and then have to change it. And you know, it, it's really difficult because when you're talking about the election, a lot of states have primaries earlier in the year.
0: I assume that this year, in particular, like this, might be even more difficult as someone might be starting school because, say, if you're a college student, school's back in session right now, mm-hmm. only to you know, two weeks into school being in session, school being canceled and moved to remote again, you know, people may not even know where they're going housing wise.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, you know, if that happens, right, you know, you go back to school, and then cases spike, and then they send you home in three weeks. Well, you know, if you're registered to vote in your college, but you live in another state, you know, have to request an absentee ballot in order to vote, right? You thought, you know, I'm going to be able to vote in person. Now you can't do that. Now you need to get an absentee ballot. But as we've seen, you know, within the last couple of weeks, the continued attack on the USPS with the fact that even after Postmaster DeJoy rolled back a lot of the changes to USPS, there's still over 20 states that said, you know, we, we may not be able to have our you know our vote by mail ballots returned in time, even if you fill it out as soon as you get it and you put it in the mail. And so that is, you know, still a really large issue. And, you know, specifically for this election is going to really impact the ways that young people can vote. And, and, you know, another really, really big thing that ties into, you know, our, our ability to vote um, as someone within the 18 to 25 age range is, you know, not only that issue with kind of where do you live, but also kind of voter ID laws in this country. And the fact that my college ID, you know, a lot of times does not qualify as a valid form of ID for, you know. Of verifying my identity. And, you know, there's been a lot of pushes in colleges to get a signature and a picture on those IDs so that they can be valid in certain states as a form of voter ID. But, you know, it is still something that is not uh, present in in a lot of places. And even in my own university, UCF, when we tried to have a signature added, they said it would be too expensive. It would take too much time to add that signature on. In the process of creating everyone the student ID, and they just uh, just couldn't do it. And of course, as we all know, with a lot of these things, it was just the willpower wasn't there. And they were like, "This seems too complicated, and I don't want to do it." And so, you know, it, it, you run into those issues a lot. But you know, for having a serious conversation about how do we, you know, increase voting access for young people looking at having college IDs that, you know, students can use form of ID to go vote is extremely important, especially when looking at low income students, students who don't own a vehicle, because, you know, a lot of folks, you know, if you don't own a car, you most likely do not have a driver's license and getting a driver's license costs money. And it is not, you know, like, oh, it's like five bucks. It's like, no, it's like, 30 to 50 bucks. Um, You know, that is something where uh, young people may not have that capital in order to invest in just, you know, now I'm able to vote because they have to figure out, okay, how am I going to stretch this $30 to feed me for the week? And, you know, when we're talking about voter suppression, it's not just, do you have the access to vote? And voter suppression isn't just completely being unable to vote. Voter suppression is about how many hoops do you have to jump through in order to exercise this right? And, you know, when we have barrier upon barrier and that students have to overcome in order to exercise that right, we're going to have less and
2: less people who are actually going to be able to follow. I really appreciate the way that you lay out so clearly how insidious and wrong it is to look at voter turnout as an issue of almost like personal responsibility rather than systemic injustice manifesting, because I know even I've fallen into that. Way of thinking because when I grew up, I did have family members, my parents that helped me navigate the system. And so I, you know, I just, I really appreciate how clear you make it all the things that people in power are doing to make it as hard as possible to vote. And so I'm just wondering if you could tell listeners who may have heard what you've shared and they want to help and they want to make sure that people have access what can people be doing right now to help make sure that voting is accessible? for everyone. Yeah. So, you know, it, the best way to get involved right now in
1: terms of, you know, really helping remove those barriers to voting access um, is engaging with our Voting Access Saves Lives campaign that Team Enough has put together with Brady and March for Our Lives. Um, which, you know, we're really talking about this issue of voting access. And we have put together uh, a whole uh, webpage in which we have filled out all the different ways that you can take action, both in your state, if you live in a, a, a swing state that we've identified, or if uh, you know you live in, in any state across the country, there are, there are ways that you can engage. So if you go to brittyunited.org slash democracy, there you'll see our full report uh, on the issue of voting access uh, based upon our four pillars. Those four pillars being vote by mail, early voting and same day registration, the disenfranchisement of voting rights for those who have been committing felonies in a lot of states. And also looking at, you know, the ability for uh, people to, you know, have online voter registration, which is something that seems pretty obvious, but is not available in some states to this day, even though we've had the internet for like two decades now. And so, you know, the way that you can get involved in kind of how we've developed the program is that when you log on to the site, you'll see a whole section on take action. And, you know, we really wanted to make it as easy as possible for folks to, you know, find a way to take action that would work for the amount of time that they had. Because we know that, you know, everyone, their ability and to, you know, have the time in order to take action looks very different. And I know as, uh, you know, a, a young person, I'm constantly running around doing stuff. You know, even with COVID, it's just running to different Zoom calls. But, you know, looking at kind of, okay, what is the time that I have? Um, really breaking it up into these time buckets is huge. And so the first one, we uh, the first kind of bucket is, you know, if you have five minutes or less, what can I do? And, you know, that looks like signing a petition. You know, that looks like signing up for alerts about the campaign so we can send you ways you know, each week that you can, you know, take action to help ensure voting access and and things of the like. And then the second bucket is, you know, okay, I have about like 15, 20 minutes, you know, I have a little more time, one call ended early, I got some time before the other one, you know, what can I do? And, you know, that bucket looks like, you know, calling your Secretary of State, calling your governor, uh, calling, you know, your Speaker of the House, uh, President of the Senate, Majority Leader of the Senate, right, and talking to them about the issue of voting access, how you can make sure that uh, people have access to safe in-person voting for the election, but also making sure that, of course, vote by mail is something that is implemented as well. And, you know, you can uh, make sure that you're taking action to ensure things like PPE for poll workers, making sure that there are disposable pens, that there are plexiglass shields at in-person voting sites, and that there is hazard pay for poll workers in order to ensure that we are, you know, paying them equitably for... Uh, in essence, putting their life on the line so that people can have the right to vote. And, uh, you know, that uh, that bucket is is definitely the way that you can really impactfully engage in the campaign. And, you know, is a great way to do it if you have, again, 15, 20 minutes. And then the last bucket is centered around our democracy organizer program. And, you know, this is uh, built for the person who's like, you know what, I have an hour a day. I live in, you know, one of the uh, fifteen any March for lives priority states, and you know, I want to take action to se- secure voting access for everyone in this election. And so, you know, you know, kind of for the next month or so, we're doing a lot of actions based upon the different states. You know, looking at okay, how can how can I, uh, you know, work with others within my state in order to to fight for all of these things around voting access. and then we're going to be transitioning the campaign right around when early vote starts to make sure that we are uh, working to document the ways in which voting access is inhibited, um, both within the early vote process, looking at vote by mail, and you know, making sure that we are not letting these things fly under the radar—that you know, these aren't things that happen in the darkness—and that we're really able to you know help make sure that we're protecting everyone's ability to vote and calling out malfeasance when we see it, and working uh, with uh, many of the amazing voter protection programs that are up and running, you know, in order to make sure that. That people have that right and that, that ability to access the, the right to vote.
0: And I think this is the same thing we keep coming back to with gun violence prevention too, right? That like these, the same communities consistently are damaged by inaction. And it's it's time sort of for all of us to, to step up and try to make things not just more equitable, but you know flat out better. And so I'm wondering if any of our listeners after listening to you, like I'm sure like Kelly and I now are super fired up. like I immediately want to go out <laughs> and start trying to register people and help people out the best way that I can. What are some ways, you know what's maybe just one thing that they can do to get activated right now?
1: Yeah, so the one thing that you can do right now to to really get activated is making a plan for yourself to vote. And you know thinking of okay, um, you know, November, uh, you know, how am I going to vote? And, you know, have you requested an absentee ballot yet? Or are you planning to vote in person? If so, you know, do do you know where that polling location is going to be? You know, if you are thinking about early voting, do you know when it starts? Um, you know, making sure that you have all the facts and that you have a plan in which you are going to, you know, exercise your right to vote. And um, that is the most crucial thing you can do right now. And, you know, what uh, I've been advising people, you know, when they ask me kind of, all right, I have these different options in front of me, you know, um, but I really want to make sure that I'm taking care of my health and my safety. Um, You know, how can I exercise my right to to vote best? You know, what I said, you know, especially with a lot of stuff going on with the USPS is if you have uh, requested an absentee ballot and, you know, once you get in, you're able to fill it out, find a ballot drop box near you. Um, You know, they, these are, you know, large, secure um, drop boxes in which you can place your ballots. It does not have to go through the mail. It cannot get lost. You throw it in the box um, and you go to the uh, county elections office and they are tallied up in their county. And so that is a really great way that you can vote safely. Secondly, you know, if that is something that you're like, I still don't trust it. And, you know, you want to vote in person. Um, you know, look up, is there early voting in your state and making a plan to go during that early voting period. During early vote, there's a lot less issues with lines and long wait times. And so, you know, even if you're on a tight schedule uh, and, and you want to vote in person safely, of course, you know, you have that ability to do so during early vote, you know, because, you know, it's really important that we're making sure that our vote is being counted.
0: And of course, I will always link in the description of this episode to, to all of those resources. I, I really do hope that, that people check out what you're doing, the, the broader work that Brady is doing, and you know, just acknowledge that voting access saves lives. So thank you so much for coming on, Robert.
1: All right. Thanks, JJ. Thanks, Kaylee. I'll talk to you both later.
0: You know what doesn't have any requirements? You calling us. Listeners can now get in touch with us here at Red Blue and Brady via phone or text message. Simply call or text us at 480-744-3452 with your thoughts, questions, concerns, ideas, whatever. And you know what else you can do? Listen to this ad. With more than 10 years of experience, NordVPN is a leading VPN provider. NordVPN gives you military-grade protection online, and you can access all your favorite sites without restriction. They never log your activity when using their servers, and you can always trust your privacy to them. As someone who travels quite a bit to countries or places with internet restrictions, I gotta say, I really enjoy NordVPN. Right now, listeners have an opportunity to support the show and get 70% off on a two-year plan by clicking the link in the description of our episode. Thanks for listening. As always, Brady's life-saving work in Congress, the courts, and communities across the country is made possible thanks to you. For more information on Brady or how to get involved in the fight against gun violence, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Get in touch with us at BradyUnited.org or on social at Brady buzz. Be brave and remember, take action, not sides.